The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss if the future of marketing is already here. Joining us is Matthew Sweezy, who is the Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce, which is the world's most recognized customer success platform. Salesforce's social and mobile cloud technologies, including their flagship sales CRM application, help companies connect with customers, partners, and employees in entirely new ways. Matthew is also the author of the HBR book, The Context Marketing Revolution, and the host of the award-winning Electronic Propaganda Society podcast miniseries. And today, Matthew and I are going to discuss if the marketing revolution is right in front of us. Okay, here's my conversation with Matthew Sweezy, Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce. Matthew, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, man. Great to be here. Very excited to have you on the show. Excited to connect actually face-to-face here. We're looking at each other. Tell me where you're based. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm here in the suburbs of San Francisco, and yet we get to record a piece of content for the entire world of marketers. One of the things that I'm sure that they're dying to know, you work at Salesforce, as I said, it's one of the most recognized sales or MarTech company or B2B companies. You're the director of market strategy. What does that actually mean? It's not marketing strategy, but market strategy. So I really own a POV, the future of marketing for the organization. So I help look at research, both internal and external, and help really bring insights to both our customers and our brand as to what does the future of marketing look like. And so it's pretty much what it operates in. And because I'm on a market strategy, I don't sit on a cloud. My insights are spread across an organization as a whole. So I'm not cloud specific or product specific, as you might think. So you have the resources of Salesforce behind you, and your job is to look into the crystal ball and figure out what direction marketing is heading. Let's talk a little bit about the past in marketing. Generally, when I'm trying to recap of the direction that we're heading, I start with, well, there was the, and anybody that's listened to this podcast has heard this little spiel, back in the Mad Men era, it was white guys that are old, drinking bourbon, talking about media creative, and now we're in the digital era. There's the internet revolution. Talk to me about how you view where we've been in marketing before we get to where we are today. Give me your view of the direction we've come. 
how complete do you want that view? I mean, I've studied this for a long time. We can go back all the way to the creation of public relations in 1917 with Edward Bernays, or we can talk about the Mad Men era or the Golden Age, as a lot of people would refer to that period of time, 1955 to like 1970. But really, the way I look at it is pre and post this one specific day. That day is June 24th, 2009. Anything before that day is the limited media era. So I'm going to take one step back. We need to first understand that marketing is not truth. Marketing is a game that we play dictated by the environments that we find ourselves in. Because depending on what environment you find yourself in, it dictates what games you play. And one of the biggest environments that we haven't really necessarily ever looked at is the media environment. Now, I don't mean mediums. I mean the environment as a large. So when we think about this, think about the environment dictated by three specific things, creation, distribution, and consumption. Before that date, we lived in a limited media environment, which means that content was limited in who could create it, how we distributed it, and how much was accessible in the environment. Now, that is very specific to our role in marketing because that has a lot to do with how we can communicate and how people make decisions. So after that point in time, and you talk about digital, we all now live in a digital world, right? There's more people on the planet with access to a cell phone than have access to clean drinking water or electricity. And what can each one of those devices do? Well, they can allow any individual to create, distribute, and access an infinite trove of content. So this is the infinite media era. And one of the big differences between these two is who does the environment operate for and what core games do we play? So before that day, there was a barrier to the creation and distribution. The only way to overcome that barrier was a thing called capital. So the only people that really had the capital to create a lot of noise were brands, hence the environment operated for their needs and they played very specific games. They had a monopoly on the media environment. Now in the infinite media era, the largest creators of noise are individuals. The second largest creator of noise are our personal connected devices. We often don't think about this, but think about a notification. Oh, that's what it is. It's the launch of the iPhone. No, it's not the launch of the iPhone at all. No, it's not? No, it's literally math that I was able to do based on tracking the total amount of noise from 1900 projected to 2030 and calculating when was the specific day that humans actually created more content than brands. Like, it's not a day you're ever going to find. It's specific research to date. Oh, that's cheating. I was sitting here trying to guess what the date was. <laughs> that's where that date comes from, right? Is You're never going to find it. I, have, I wrote a whole book about it. What was the date again? Remind me. June 24th, 2009. That's the specific date based on math that individuals became the largest creators of noise. Interesting. So let me take a step back here because you're looking at this from a content production standpoint. And I think of sort of where we are in terms of a couple different milestones where there was the, let's just roll everything together, the pre-internet era, the web 1.0 where you, know, you had to have a website to be able to publish content. Then there was the web 2.0, the launch of social media. And now there's just a proliferation of ways that you can create content. And so whether we're in web 3.0 or 2.0, whatever we're calling it, that's kind of how I'm generally bucketing it. And you're looking at this as there was a specific amount of content that was produced and it happened in 2009 where we are creating more content than there are people. It's not just that we're creating more content than people. Let's be really clear. One of the goals of marketing is twofold. One is to break through the noise and two is to get people to take action. For us to do that, we have to be very clear on the environment that we're operating in. For us to break through, what we used to break through was a plethora of noise created by other brands, which meant the games that we played were a specific type of game. 
Now the number one creator of noise are individuals and number two, their devices. Hence, what we are now breaking through is not the same thing. Hence, it's not going to take the same game. It's going to take a radically different idea. And so now who the environment operates for are individuals because they are the largest creators. And then the underlying format or the underlying theme there is context, like what breaks through is context. And the second follow-up to that is then how do we get people to take action? Well, in a world of limited information, people rely and make decisions in different ways. Really good example, right? We all know the marketing logic of top of mind. Well, let's go back to when was that idea created? That game was created and played, to your point, back in the Mad Men era, where the goal was we need to be top of mind. And we also followed other games along this, Sex Cells, No Such Thing as Bad Press. They're all about being able to be stuck in somebody's memory so that when they go to make a decision, you are there a part of their, what we would call evoke set or the things that they're going to pick and choose from to make that determination. Here's the difference. In the infinite era, there's an infinite amount of content and it's instantly and infinitely accessible. So rather than a human remembering things and then using that to make determinations, we offload that memory to digital devices and ask questions where we never would have before. Hence turning things that never ever would have been considered purchases into highly considered purchases simply because they can be. So now we need to realize consumers have different decision-making processes because it's a different media environment. Hence, we need to play a different game to motivate. So the revolution here in marketing is essentially the understanding that people are offloading their memory and decision-making in some way to the internet, right? They are outsourcing recall. And they, when they have a question, they go to a device and that allows marketers to insert their information where they want? Not necessarily. That is the environment. And that is how consumers are making decisions. So let's take two steps back. When I said the environment now operates for the individual's needs, we have to move past this concept of I'm going to put something in front of somebody and that's going to get them to do exactly what I want them to do. Right? All things have journeys and all we can really do is guide that person to the next step. So it's what we're talking about, what marketing must do is if we scale this up to a larger conversation, there's a larger conversation going on about business it's called digital transformation, where we're looking at businesses in radically different ways in terms of what they are, how we service customers, how we grow businesses. What I'm talking about is marketing's transformation. And the reason we need to transform is because the media environment has transformed. So that's kind of the underlying structure of what we're talking about is it's a change in the role of marketing and how we execute it because the environment it's operating in is completely different. So help me distill that down a little bit. I understand the idea that the media landscape has changed. There's infinite amount of content. And I understand that the way that businesses are operating and going through digital transformation is also different. A key component of that is the idea of either marketing automation or just understanding where someone is in the purchase flow and being able to create and distribute, whether it's dynamic content or the right message at the right place at the right time, we have more context about where someone is in the buying journey now than ever before. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Am I thinking about this the right way? You know, unlimited media and understand where someone is so that determines what your marketing efforts are? Yeah, and we're also talking about vastly different things at the same time, right? Where I'm talking about macro environmental effects on a global scale, and we're talking about very specific tactical, how do we then deal with these things? So let's go back and look at a piece of data I haven't shared yet, right? So over the past four years, I've worked with the Salesforce research team to help identify the key traits of high-performing marketing organizations. And to date, we've looked at about 16,000 brands across the globe, B2B, B2C, all over the number one key trait between a high-performing marketing organization and everyone else, right? I ask this question, I usually play a guessing game, right? Like let people guess. And they come up with all different things. They have better technology, they have better technique. Can I take a stab? Please go ahead. An understanding of who the customer is. That's not actually it. Not even close. That is a key piece that you need to succeed by all accounts. But the reality is, the number one key trait between a high performer and an underperformer is executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing. And as boring as that sounds, here's what that means. It means the key executive understands that the role of marketing is no longer about creating messages to pump in the marketplace, to tell people about the products that they've created. It's about creating a series of connected experiences across the entire customer journey. That's it. They move from messages to experiences and they move marketing from the creators of messages to the owners and sustainers of all experiences. Okay, so you have to have executive buy-in, you have to have budget, and that trickles down to the team changing their marketing activities from blasting out and pumping out messages to understanding where the customer is and crafting an experience that's going to get them to the next step. Yeah, exactly right. So to your point of understanding the customer, that's where that really comes in, right? When we start to talk about persona development, customer journey execution, customer journey mapping, we then get into the world of how do we then do this at scale, which then is in the aspects of automation and platforms and technology. So that's kind of where it all comes down. But it always has to start with that key executive, because if not, here's what happens. Go back to a couple of years ago, I was giving a talk in London, and I'd given a talk there before, and a person in the crowd had heard me talk before. And years and years and years ago, I've been talking about rich text versus HTML and why rich text is so powerful. It's because that's how humans naturally write from one human to another. So if we're trying to automate marketing, why would we not automate what two humans naturally write to each other? That way it's authentic. Anyways, so here's the story. I'm in London. She says, hey, listen, I did that. We had phenomenal results, but here's what happened. My boss walked back into the office and he held up the email and he says, why are we sending out something so ugly? And then he held up the competitor's email and says, see, this is pretty. It's funny. There's an example that I give to all of my marketing consulting clients when they talk about emails. The anecdote that I have is 
one of the guys that's pretty high up at marketing at Facebook. And he said the trick to marketing is to create the ugliest email possible. When we figured that out, all of a sudden Facebook started scaling. Yeah. Just think about this from a human standpoint. Have you ever created a fully formatted HTML email with CSS to send to a single person? The answer is no. So when you receive that, you instantly know that it's created by a marketer. We can even elevate this one step further. Here's a simple question to ask yourself. How do you open or how do you engage with your email inbox in the morning? What is the first thing you do? Do you open your email inbox, look at the first email, read the subject line, open the email, start to continue to read it until you figure out if you want to continue or not, move to the next email in line, open it, start to read the contents and work your way email by email all the way down. Or do you do B? Scan all the email subject lines, delete all the crap, and then work on the rest. You probably be. I'm a zero inboxer, so it's a, maybe I'm not the greatest person to ask about this, but I'm generally looking at the title, making a decision, filtering through. But most of the time, I'm opening the emails or just deleting them right there. So yeah, triaging and filtering. 99% of people just do be. They simply, they never even open the email. And here's the thing. There's less than 100 characters of information, right? You have a sender name and you have a subject line. That's it. And we delete these things within a fraction of a second without ever having to open the email because we know there's no need to read that. And the reason we know there's no reason to read that is because we've been able to identify that this is an email from a marketer and this is a marketing email. This is not a personal email. I do not need to look at this. And the answer as to how are we so good is that marketers are so bad at writing emails. They try to craft a single subject line to convert as many people as possible. Hence, identifying themselves is very inauthentic because of how they write. And that's why we're able to do it. So the concept of ugly email, it's just, that's how we create. That's authentic. That's human. Yeah. It's not necessarily that it has to be ugly. It can be. Honestly, the email formatting turns out doesn't matter all that much. It's the fact that it's authentic, that it actually feels like it's written from a person. I've found and tested this with multiple clients that when we send something from X brand, as opposed to Y person from X brand, the second email performs better. Oh yeah, all the time. I've had people that just take literally HTML email formats, just remove the HTML and send it and see 3x engagement. Yeah, moral of the story is ugly up your emails. They'll do much better. Yeah, don't read my book, just make ugly emails. There you go. <laughs> well, read the book too. So tell me a little yeah. bit more about the book. Obviously, we're covering topics that are related to this. Your book is called The Context Marketing Revolution. And that's really what we're talking about is providing the right context to the right person Part of that is who is it coming from? What are the other factors that you include in context? First off, experience is what we need to be focused on, not just marketing collateral. So this is not how do I take marketing that I'm currently doing and then add context to it to make it more effective. This is a reverse, right? How do we focus on what the experience that the person is looking for in that moment? And then how do we create a contextual experience inside of that? And the contextual experience is five key parts, right? It's available. It's permissioned, it's personal, it's authentic, and it's purposeful. So let's walk through all those. Available is pretty obvious, right? If it's not there, there's nothing to be engaged with. Permissioned, we need permission for two things, direct access and data, right? If we have permission, we then have the ability to engage. Value exchange, Seth Godin written about this since 99. I could make some arguments about that where you can gather data from someone without express consent and it still ends up being valuable, but that's a topic for another day. Sure, all right. Then the next is personal. A lot of times we think of how personalized can I make something, right? Mass customization rather than what's the actual highest value of the internet, which is personal connection. So it's not personalization of something. It's how personal can we deliver it? And then the last two are soft skills. Is it authentic, right? Is it the same tone, empathy? Is it consistent with the concurrent of the channel? And then finally, is it purposeful? Is it focused on something past the product? And that's a really hard one for marketers to understand. But the reality is, it's a long customer lifecycle. 
the product usage is only a very small period of time in that. If we want to have a greater share of that person's life, we have to be able to talk about things past just the product usage. So that's where purpose comes in. Okay. So I have a good understanding of what context is. You've laid out the five steps. There is the notion of the context and marketing revolution that we're talking about. Help me marry the two of them together. Is the revolution here? Are we already to the point where we're starting to build out experiences or are most marketers behind the curve and still just blasting out messages, trying to get in front of the consumer, not thinking about the experience that they're creating? There's a lot of answers to this question. It's going to kind of break them down. The first is the word revolution. The answer is yes, we have already gone into the revolution. We are in a new period in time starting in 2009. Viva la marketing. (laughs) It takes a long time for things to change, right? Because we have over 100 years invested in these ideas and theories, and we just simply have iterated upon those moving forward. We never had a foundational shift in the media environment, right? Through all those periods of time from 1918 to 1955 to the creation of the internet, even to the creation of social media, that was all still within the limited media era. So all we had to do is iterate upon old ideas. The revolution is happening, it's here. The brands that are succeeding, or the high performers, right? We know that they are 10 times more likely to be significantly beating their direct competition. They are operating from a different ground. They have given marketing a different role, scope, and function. So as we think about digital transformation, this is marketing transformation. And it's moving from product centricity to customer centricity. It's moving out of a silo department to become a decentralized across the entire organization. It's moving from how we grow businesses, from thinking about how creative my messaging can be to get somebody to do something, to guiding them across a life cycle of journeys and experiences. And by optimizing these things, we grow brands and businesses in very effective, anxious, better ways. It sounds a little intimidating where everything that we're thinking about marketing is being flipped on its head, right? We're going through this transition period and I, you know, kind of liken it to a brick and mortar brand trying to move to become a digital brand. Like there are so many variables and so many uncertainties and there aren't a lot of processes that most people are familiar with to sort of understand this mindset that the change in media landscape and all the available tools Talk to me about how you advise marketers to sort of grasp the environment that we live in today. And you're looking at all the best, highest performing brands other than the executives believe that marketing should be decentralized and the other things that you mentioned. What are some of the tips that people can take home to start making sure that their marketing efforts are best practices and actually relevant for the environment we're operating in today? Sure. There's a couple of really simple things that we can think about. Number one is three words, with, not on. Think about how you can work with your marketplace, not how you can work on your marketplace. Once again, in the infinite era, the environment operates for the individual. So find ways to either co-create your experiences or find ways to work with them. Here's a super amazing story that focuses just on this, right? It's Mercedes-Benz versus Tesla. Mercedes-Benz spends $926 per car in advertising costs, sold 86,000 of that Model C in 2017. Compared to Tesla, Tesla launched the Model 3. They spend $6 in advertising cost per car. That's one 150th of Mercedes-Benz. They sold 276,000 cars. That's three times as many. And then if you go and look at the underlying business structure, Mercedes-Benz follows the old idea where they build a car, they then market a car, they then sell the car. Tesla works with their marketplace to have a conversation about how to get the world off of fossil fuels. They then co-create the car and get them to invest in the car. Then they build the car. Then they continue through creating the most amazing customer experience that you've ever had. So it's a radically different role, scope, and function for marketing. 
Now, Tesla is the number one luxury car manufacturer in the world. Tesla is a great example. I think that there's also the notion of being a social media or a press darling as well, which is why they're able to lower their marketing costs. When you're working with existing marketing operations, is there anything that you see that is valuable to people as they're making this transformation, as they're making the mindset change? The number one thing you can do is talk to customers more. Marketing traditionally was a insular thing where we would sit and brainstorm inside of a room and come up with the best creative thing that we could do. Then we would push that thing out. So that's where you see a big difference between these two operations. People that understand it's a journey, one, have personas, they have mapped a journey out, and they focus on creating experiences that meet people in those moments and then guide them to the next steps on the journey. By guiding from step to step to step, they create not only a holistic, repeatable process, but also they're able to contextually meet those people in those moments. So we just need to talk to people more. And you're like, okay, that's super simple. Give me something concrete. How about this? When was the last time you ever picked up the telephone and asked somebody who engaged with your piece of content if it actually met the needs that they had in that moment? Because here's the problem. We see a download, but the download was only the first part of the experience. It's not a follow-up to was the experience a positive one. So I've done some research on this. So I asked 400 B2B buyers. I said, have you ever been disappointed with content that you downloaded from a brand? 71% of them said yes. The most surprising part was 25% of those said that they would never engage with that brand ever again. That was the level of disappointment, right? So let me repeat that. 71% of B2B buyers have been disappointed with content they've downloaded. 25% of them have been so disappointed they would never engage with that brand ever again. They don't have to because of the opportunity cost. There's an infinite amount of content. I don't need you to find the answers I want. There are plenty of them out there. So what we need to realize is if we're not simply following up and asking people, was this a positive experience? We really have no idea. And all we're looking for is the basic metric of the download. So number one is put reviews in place. Actually talk to the customers. If you have an experience, review that experience. And then make sure that you're asking three specific questions. Number one is where were you in the journey when you came across this experience? That's going to tell you, is it in the right place? Number two, did it meet your expectations? That's going to tell you, is it a good one or a bad one? And number three, have you seen better? Three questions takes you less than a minute and a half to ask them. Very simple questions. You only need to ask about seven to 10 people. This entire exercise can take about an hour and a half and can totally radically change your experiences. I absolutely agree with you. And it's one of the things that I've tried to preach on this podcast is one of the best ways to be a better marketer. And this goes back to what my thought was of what are the likely traits of marketing teams that are high performing an understanding of who your customers are going and actually talking to them. Sure, you need the executive buy-in to be able to do it, but to understand what marketing channels, what messages, what product needs your customers have, instead of guessing, you should be going to your customers. Matthew, I appreciate you giving us all the insight. We're going to continue the conversation tomorrow and talk a little bit about Salesforce's role and where they are positioned in the new marketing revolution. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Matthew Sweezy, Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Matthew and I are going to discuss if Salesforce is at the center of the marketing universe. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Matthew, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is msweezy, M-S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. Or you can visit his personal website, which is matthewsweezy.com. There's only one T. It's M-A-T-H-E-W-S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y.com.
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We've got summaries of our episodes, contact information for our guests, where you can sign up for our once a week newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Matthew Sweezy, the director of market strategy at Salesforce, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.